when we travel, we, we carry home with us, and part of home is food and culture and performance and storytelling. And so then that changes with the space because we tell stories differently or we cook food slightly differently because of what's around us. Food means home to me. And so that's why, and I'm so interested in home and identity and belonging, So that f- and food is the biggest key of who I am, how I belong, how I build homes. Nations get built on the bodies of women, you know, they really do. Like mm-hmm. the, the symbol, like the motherland, the, I mean, yes, we talk about fatherland as well, but those kind of things were evoked, and like the land and the soil images were often created within, within newly independent states. Not, not always, but those kind of images are, are, are easily evoked in opposition to, to the West. People hark back to the good old days in every fucking nation. You right. know? Like, like now, we're like right. harking back to some bullshit good old days which never existed anyway, you know, because that never existed. Yeah. Some fairy tale. I'm doing this show called What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which looks at how patriarchy hurts men and how men hurt people through patriarchy. The show draws on my personal experiences, many of which have been touched on in getting better acquainted conversations in the past, but there is some stuff that I've never touched on on the show, so you can get even better acquainted with me about some of the more complicated areas of my life. From the 8th to the 30th of August, at 12.05 at the Cabaret Voltaire mini cine room every day apart from Mondays as part of the PBH Free Fringe. As I said, the show draws on my personal experience and on lots of thinking and reading that I've done over the last five years, but it also draws on a survey of a thousand men that I conducted online. I've gathered all of their responses together in an open source resource which is available online, which you can find at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And on that website, there's also more information about the show, there's a show blog, there's guest blogs from people, and you are welcome to use that data to analyze that data to expand on that data and to comment on that data the other thing i was thinking about the other day about your man survey just going switching topics is this is maybe a bit controversial suddenly it was a safe space for someone to sort of say well this is what it means to me i think maybe i'm wrong and then read other people's comments and be like oh okay i see other people okay so there's not one answer there's not one right way and we can actually discuss this And I thought that's important. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Anna. Hello, Anna. Hello. (laughs) We're outside in the sunny day. A little bit of wind, some aeroplanes in the sky. We're, we're outside in the garden at your at your place, so thank you for having having me. Mm, thanks for coming. My garden now looking at it through the perspective of a visitor. I realise my garden is such a mess because my dog goes into all the like recycling bin and makes the recycling bin his toy box, <laughs> which is now littered the garden. But anyway, yeah, so I mean, sorry about that. An outsider, <laughs> an outsider always makes all of that stuff really clear. Yeah. Um, don't worry about it. I, I don't really care about that sort of stuff. And I mean, I was I was brought up in a very messy house, so I'm I'm uh, I'm quite at home in mess. Good. Uh, <laughs> the first question I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Mm. 
Mm. Well, I should say we're eating Twitter. isolates as well. That's, That's a, true, a, yes. That, that, Very summary. To explain to people the sound. <laughs> Twitter, right. I think so. Well, I guess we follow all the same pe- a lot of the same people, don't right. we? So it was Twitter. I can't remember. Someone must have posted something that you wrote. And then I didn't. I don't think I realised that we had a lot of mutual friends. Mutual friends, yeah. Actually, it was probably wasn't really until you were tweeting about your mansplaining, mansplaining yeah. masculinity. That's right. And then Adrian retweeted both of us, and I was like, hey. And then I suddenly realised that you'd work with Paula and right. yeah, a bunch of other people. So you're one of those people on Twitter who we seem to have like a lot of similar interests, and mm. so we end up sort of having lots of conversations about things. And sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a Twitter stalker with you. I was like, <laughs> I've got an opinion. I want to say something. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm like, oh God, need to stop. No, but that's great. I mean, it was particularly <laughs> great when I was doing the man survey, mm. the actual surveys. Like, it was so good to get people also interested, also talking about it, also giving their opinions on stuff. Particularly, like, women's voices, actually. Like, I want to hear what women have Mm. to say about men. They have a very good vantage point for seeing the problems, yeah. That was was so fascinating, though. Like, because I hadn't really... I think because when you when you work within feminism or, or, or and, and, and gender studies and stuff, you are very concentrated, as you should be, in terms of the, the, the female voice. It, it, you sort of forget Whoa. that... Oh. I think, is, is your phone on? Oh. Yes, put that ah, away. Ah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> Didn't even think about Hang on. It's the patriarchy trying to stop us talking about feminism. <laughs> it's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's Apple right. <laughs> plotting. Right, right. No, I think if you when you're working within gender studies and, and writing a lot about that kind of stuff, you concentrate on the female voice, as you should, but it's important every now and again to check how other people understand that language, for starters, and understand what you mean by it or how they feel part of it or not part of it, part of the conversation, not part of the conversation. So your survey was fantastic for making me think about how I talk and how I explain things and being angry I think is really important but also sometimes being angry in the right instances then also taking the time to actually explain what you mean by certain words and certain things right I mean that was an interesting thing about like you say it it uses language of feminism Mm. to, to, to talk about the issues around men that survey and the thing about that is that I have mixed feelings about having made that decision because at the same time as it does, like you say, it's really interesting to find out what people think the words mean, what their relationship to those words are. It also obviously really, really kind of like turns off a lot of men who might have responded. I mean, it doesn't turn off men who really want to shout and get angry, <laughs> loads and loads of them. Like yeah. it's, a, it's a trigger word either way. It'll either make people very eloquent about patriarchy, which is great, or like really offensive maybe eloquently offensive mm, still mm. offensive mm. <laughs> but it's it's funny when you do kind of live in this world of like my PhDs in post-colonial feminism so a lot of my friends and acquaintances and colleagues are all you know in a, in a particular world and so I, I forget sometimes that people are still very negative I mean I know that they are but hearing those words were very difficult and hurtful but reminded me that there is still a lot of education not necessarily my responsibility but right. it still needs to be done right no yeah me too i mean although i feel a little bit more different like different about responsibility because i'm a man i guess that's my doorbell yeah, hang on a second cool. sorry <laughs> <laughs> Random. that's okay i quite like interruptions they kind of make, make, make the uh, the conversation kind of like more obviously really happen but yeah i mean i guess my res- my relationship to like whether it's my responsibility to educate people mm. is a little bit different because of the fact that I am a man, and so if anybody's going to be taking the time 
like to to explain to people and to 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 educate people i guess it should be privileged people rather than people who are like trying to express their voices like that's that's how i feel about it that's oh no i think that's true because i think you it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of energy to have a voice for starters and then it takes a lot of energy to you know educate people and then and then if you spend all your energy on educating people you then don't have your own voice and that can be very difficult but and so I understand like I mean I do try to be an educator as much as I can Mm. I oscillate between being really open to that and being you know open for questions and explaining and things like that to other times being really angry about it but I think that's okay yeah I I think think, so too so and that's a really another thing is that people do think that you're you need to have one voice and one opinion and Mm. you can't oscillate and I think particularly with women they don't have that, like, multiple narratives within the within media or whatever. People and themselves feel that they have to have one opinion and stick to it. Right. They have to have one narrative of who they are. Because I, I think men are allowed to be a little bit more fluid. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know either. I think, I mean, one of the things that doing this survey has kind of reminded me is I've been reminded about the ways that patriarchy hurt men. Like mm. it, to, to me, it's like a, a kind of cliche. You know, it's like part of my vocabulary, but it's not something I, I properly think about. And I think it's it's really interesting. Like, like nearly nearly all areas I think now, and my, what's my my? It's only my opinion, and, and, and uh, you know, men having opinions about this sort of stuff is always a mistake in some ways. I don't think so. But like, there's ways that men are allowed to show different mm. opinions, mm. and then there's ways that they're not allowed to show mm. different opinions as well. And I think you're you're right that some men have lots and lots of agency, but mm. there's also men are supposed to always be kind of forthright and definite mm. and not be weak mm. and change change and vulnerable. So it's like different symptoms of the same of issue. Of the same thing, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. And I think that's one of the things about the survey that was really fascinating and just that reminder that it's hurtful to everybody. These structures that we live in are just hurtful to everybody. Completely unproductive. It's been a big eye-opener to me even though it's it's kind of maybe it's confirmation bias it has confirmed all the things I thought but Mm, mm, mm. it's done it much more kind of really and humanly and and like you say like the the real the the real life lived experience behind those words we use all the time like like, very you know here comes the door yes (laughs) hello you (laughs) we have been joined hello by a dog (laughs) Okay, you can wow. go inside now. Come on, come on, inside. You need to sleep anyway, you've been out in the sun all day. Come on. Inside, good boy. Mm. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> I properly love dogs, so I wish oh, I had good. one. So. <laughs> he is good. He's a very good dog. Yeah, me and, me and my partner kind of have uh, dog envy, you know, when we're mm. often going for walks and going, oh, you know, we want that dog, we want that dog. Yeah. Someday soon. Yeah. Yeah, dogs are hard. I mean, there's such a big responsibility. Right. Financial but, and time. Yeah, just in t- exactly. Right. In equal sort of measures. The second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Mm. That's really difficult. Okay. Yeah, um, horrible question. Really. <laughs> I have a very unusual career. So I started in performance, and as most people in the arts world know, you can't pay the rent that way. So then I did a part, I went into, I was a recruitment consultant and then I went, but basically I went and worked at a law firm three days a week running their alumni team so building networks it's a global law firm and I've been there eight and a half years and I love it and it gives me flexibility to I can pay the rent and eat 
which means that I can do jobs, art jobs, theatre jobs, other projects that I love. And that's hugely important. And my boss is amazing and really inspiring woman, like just amazing, amazing person. Pushes me to be so much better and and everything. So then I went back into my PhD. So I was a full-time student whilst doing this job part-time, which was pretty intense. And now I do a lot of writing and a bit of directing, producing, I guess. I call myself a producer-writer because I produce events, whether they are theatre events or whether there are kind of hospitality events. So I work, I've always worked in hospitality, on and off. So I write a lot about food. I write for a couple of hospitality industry papers. And I work on a chef's project, which is with the executive chef for Duck and Waffle called Chefs of Tomorrow, which is about building the careers of sort of young chefs and kind of creating sort of networks and spaces for them to try out new things within a sort of safe environment. That sounds really weird. But, yeah, with, like, other more experienced people around them, so they're able to... You you can't learn unless you fail, basically. So there's that kind of, you know, space. Which is a great project. Again, everyone works on that for free, so it's a great project that I'm allowed to be part of because I have this other corporate job. Yeah, and then I've just written a play that we're taking to Malaysia in 2016, and that's what I'm sort of rehearsing and doing at the moment as well. The three big areas I was thinking about probably talking to you about today I like post-colonial feminism Mm. food and performance art and it seems like it's going to be really hard to talk about all of those things separately like I feel like they're probably all going to merge very much in the conversation yeah and it seems funny because originally my career felt so like different and now they're all just becoming one thing so my PhD, I looked at how identity changes when space and location changes and I used performing arts and the performance practice or, or cultural practices of the Iban women as their practices migrated from the jungle to sort of urban spaces and then the rest of the world. The Iban is what, what I am, my dad is, and they are an indigenous tribe of Borneo in Malaysia, in Sarawak, which is the largest state of Malaysia. And I used food as well as a big reason, kind of metaphor, I guess, to show how when, when we travel, we, we carry home with us and part of home is food and culture and performance and storytelling and so then that changes with the space because we tell stories differently or we cook food slightly differently because of what's around us. Food means home to me and so that's why and I'm so interested in home and identity and belonging so that and food is the biggest key of who I am, how I belong, how I build home so therefore food is the central point that flits out yeah (laughs) making lots of hand movements which doesn't really work. (laughs) food is home for you Mm. you have like lots of interests in identity Mm. like what 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 do you what would you define your identity as I mean Mm, yeah it's it's, it's weird and I think like yeah no it does it does it (laughs) makes a lot a lot of sense because I'm mixed race I think because it's and it's because of that and I bridge these worlds or I'm float between spaces or whatever and so I grew up in Malaysia I grew up in New Zealand and then I came to London at 20 and why I did my PhD is this kind of self-indulgent like (laughs) search for who I am in a way you know like very academically because I I think now looking back on it you know reflectively it's because I don't really like my identity feels so confused well not confused it wasn't confused but it felt like you had to pick something and I could never really pick anything. And now in London is the first time I really felt at home is because I don't... Everyone here, no one here is from London, really, right, you know? Right, right. There's very few Londoners um, around. And I think that's really lovely. And in, in London, I don't have to pick whether I'm either New Zealander or Malaysian or whatever. Right. I think. But I feel more Malaysian 
than I do in New Zealand because I think I'm marked visually as not being white, more, more so than being white. Sometimes I look more white than others, but that's fine. And because of that, I've always had to articulate my identity through how other people see me. So if people ask, where am I from? I always have to ask, well, is it because of my accent or is it because of how I look? And usually if it's, well, I can kind of tell that you're Antipodean from your accent, therefore it's what you, how you look. And being mixed race, I could be sort of anything. Right. And so because of that, I have to, I've had to, over the years, articulate my identity as being Malaysian because of how other people see me. Right. I mean, I guess it's like you've got like the the visual way that people ass- mm. assess culture, and then mm. you've got the, the 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 oral one, and and mm. and so you give a, you give conflicting signals mm. to people. Mm. I mean, and also the other thing is, I just fucking love food. <laughs> like, food is so important in my family. It's, it's a really Malaysian thing, but I don't think it's just a Malaysian thing. But it is. I mean, Malaysians can talk about it twenty four seven. But I just love food, so. Yeah, so I think then my identity has always been around food and then trying to work out what food means, to, I don't know, it means to me and I, yeah, I don't know, it's and funny. I, and I guess that's the food of your childhood compared mm. to, the, mm. to the food of like, how, how old were you when you moved to New Zealand? Six. Right, right. Mm. But my mother, my mother's white, but she's been a lot of, we ate mainly Asian food, she cooked mainly Asian food when we were kids anyway in New Zealand, I think it was just healthy. Yeah, and available, Not, I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, and, like, you can sort of... Yeah, we like spicy foods and all that kind of stuff. And in Asian food, you don't actually... Like, in a stir-fry or something, you don't use, like, a lot of meat. So we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So, you know, it's healthy, cheap way of eating is actually Asian style anyway. And food's very specific as well. Like, sometimes, because we generalise about food traditions like mm. drastically like one of the things that I always remember when I, I went to Japan when I was um, a kid on an exchange trip and the family that I went to stay with they the first day I got there the, the grandparents measured me for a kimono which was kind of like a, a, a strange <laughs> strange experience but then they then they took me up to give me the, my first like meal there and to make me feel at home they'd cooked spaghetti bolognese oh amazing right, which I thought was just like fascinating because yeah. Like, that really brought across to me how, when you're outside of Europe, Europe is all one homogenous yeah, mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? In the, in, the, in the same way that people talk about Asian food, yeah. right? And they don't mean that. They mean, like, sp- very specific yeah, 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 yeah. strands of it. Yeah. yeah. That's quite nice. I quite like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really know what Malaysian, like, what Malaysian mm. food is, really. Like. No, I don't think... I mean, there's not that many... <laughs> Malaysian restaurants in London there's a few and now actually there's a lot more kind of Malaysian like food bloggers and sort of supper clubs and there's one woman that I've been speaking to actually this morning I've just been writing up an interview with her who she runs a Malaysian street food stall called Sambal Shiok she's amazing so there's like this movement of kind of Malaysian I mean yeah there's Malaysians everywhere I feel like maybe that's just me meeting other Malaysians but Malaysia is this space of migrants it's not made up of one it's got a lot of Chinese a lot of Indian there's the Malay which are indigenous to West Malaysia and then there's the indigenous people of all the states I mean for example in Sarawak there's 28 indigenous peoples right all with their own religion and languages Plus, you've got the Chinese and the Malay and the Indians. And the right. Chinese and the Indians have been there for generations. So it's this lovely cuisine that's kind of 
developed across lots of different you know cultures and stuff. So right. it's really cool. What they call fusion in the, what when they they're trying to be trendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a great word. <laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> the reaction that your face gave Ben to that word. <laughs> I just people use fusion, but fusion like it talks about food is so messy. You know, and fusion has this idea that it's when two things, generally two things, weld together. You know, and it just makes me think of like, makes me think of literally two pieces of metal being welded together. It makes me think of Flashdance and her welding together right, two pieces right, of metal, right. and then it becomes a seamless thing. But you can never make a seamless thing out right. of food. A little bit like culture. It's like culture, right. exactly. And that's why, you know, like, we need to move away from this word fusion. Right. Like, we need to move away from the word, like, authentic. I hate the word authentic as well. Right. Because it's this idea of, like, one truth. Like, we'll meld things together, fuse things together to be one. Or we'll, like, something is authentic because, because there is one truth or there is one writer or one artist or, you know... Whatever. So where does I mean yeah no that makes a lot of sense <laughs> and and those kind of those ways of thinking kind of are, are, are quite like they're quite the way I think about the mm. world, but at the same time there's 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 a complication with cultures coming together right like mm. I, I'm trying to work out what I think about this now having kind of grown up always being like I'm I'm kind of anti-copyright I'm kind of like about fr- everything mm, being mixed mm. together like that's always been like my kind of idealistic perspective Mm. but as I get more educated in different views I'm kind of becoming more aware of the idea of cultural appropriation and how that works and and that kind of messes up my idealistic first point of of like yes we can just all share everything and that's that's beautiful because it's not (laughs) when it's an exploitation yeah I mean like a big chapter of my PhD was talking about that because I was thinking like what right do I have I didn't really spend a lot of time in Malaysia mixed race I'm you know blah 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 I'm mainly western what right do I have talking about these things? And so I had a lot of kind of internal conflict with that same thing. Like, am I just appropriating a culture because I think it looks pretty on stage? And then, but you also have to think about how everyone steals. Artists right. steal. Well, art is theft, really. Exactly. And so it's, it's more about, like, thinking about how you steal. Borrowing is a horrible word as well, because we shouldn't borrow something. We, we get in, So it's about being inspired and being kind of, like, aware that, that it's messy. Right. And that we aren't just neatly fusing something, <laughs> yeah. and and that there is no such thing as authenticity. I mean, you can authenticate a Monet painting because that's one guy painting, right? right. But then you're not going to say to someone about another artist who paints like Monet. You're not going to say about his work, oh, it's Monet. It's an authentic Monet because it's in the style of. Right. And I think I don't know. It's slightly messy, but but, but it's it gets a really bit complicated because like, Monet's in, inspired by loads of people as well. It's, so it's is exactly. Monet's painting Monet's painting? Yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> so we can go like a painting that's literally painted by Monet is the only authentic Monet painting in that way because it was by his hand. But then tradition and culture is never by one hand. Right. And so then if we start th- saying that this is the authentic way of doing something or something like that, then that's disingenuous. So the way I think about it and the way I think about being inspired by other things and people and culture and that is to acknowledge m- my authorship within it. It's to... Trin is uh, an amazing academic and filmmaker and she talks about it as like a reflection, reflection upon reflection upon reflection. And, and knowing that you're retelling a story and knowing that you're within that story and that you're retelling it and it's like retelling it through your own listening and through your own eyes and being aware that what you listen and what you and how you see things 
is through a lens of your own experience so that you're going to retell a story based on what you think was what you heard and therefore what you felt was important from that story so and you can take that simply like take five people telling the story of Cinderella everyone's going to emphasize different parts because yeah. they're from you know and so acknowledging that your emphasis and that your understanding of a story whether that story is food or art or performance is through your own preoccupations and yeah. how you viewed it and being really upfront and acknowledging that I think is a way through yeah I mean, it's it's still. I mean, it's a very it's still a complicated area because, like, so that that's a very reasonable way through for you, but it may, it may be a different position for me, right? Yes. Like, so, like, because you have some right to some of the some of the stories people might, you know, do, mm, do you know mm, what mm, I mean? Mm. Like, whereas if if I come and 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 take and reflect back, there's still a sort of there's structural issues around yeah. me. I mean. I'm yeah. a bad example because I'm I'm trying to use me as an example <laughs> of, of like the default, but actually yeah. I don't quite have the the same. Like if I was a much more successful white privileged man, that and I came in and took loads of stuff from cultures and then profited from that. Yeah, like that's it's the profit part. It's right? ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's about being part of it. But it's also but it's a lot. There's lots of things like you know you can you can do it well. You can you can share profits in a way and profits is not necessarily financial right, right? Absolutely. Um, you can be part of a community and invite other people within that space or be invited into a space or 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 know that you aren't I think a lot of it for me feels like a lot of it feels like not understanding a space or 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 letting people perceive you as being a voice of authority instead of saying that you're a voice and other voices I don't know it's difficult and food is difficult because food is particularly difficult and hasn't been sort of critiqued as much as say performance has or media has because it's always been so fluid but I don't know And, and, and ingredients are so reliant on migration and globalization and all that kind of stuff as well so food does get influence from around the world so that's a that's a tricky storytelling Right, and when you're making food, when you, you, yeah. don't, you don't profit in the same... It's not so much... A, like, no. a performance is a, a thing where you're seen to be doing something yeah. and you can get... The, but if you're just making food in your own house... Yeah, but no if you have really a restaurant, you know, anything. like, people oh, that, right. you know, like, yeah. there's a lot of... like the way, it's, it's a complicated one because there's a lot of people doing really good... There's a lot of white dudes doing really good Asian food, you know, <laughs> and making a lot of money from it. And I, and, and I think that's problematic, but I also don't think it's wrong... Right. And I don't know how to work that through. Or, or not, not that I don't think it's wrong. I, it's not that I... Th- it's kind of like I don't think... That, uh, I, I wouldn't want to say that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. A really good example, actually, is... Um, so Jamie Oliver, for, I don't know, maybe the Olympics or something? Or something kind of sport-related. And it was... He did a, a song about, cult, like, English culture or whatever. And he put a recipe up that a lot of food bloggers here from kind of African descent said that that's, he's got no place doing that. There's lots of people already doing that really well. Why did he have to do his own recipe? Right. You know, why not promote someone else? Why not la 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 la? And his response was really positive, which was kind of, 
hey, yeah, you're right. This, but this is my interpretation. Like, this is what I grew up with. It's this very anglicized version. But no, you're right. Check out these guys, these guys, these guys. This is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing. And he really opened up the space and then promoted other people. Right. I need to find an article about that and I'll send it to you <laughs> to be a bit more specific about it because it was very vague and very terribly told by me. But th- I think he, I, he reacted really well to it. Right. He understood the fact that, hang on, this is, this is true. Okay, let me readdress where I've come from with this recipe. This is not authentic. And he didn't say ever that it was like authentically from this part of this country, whatever. Then kind of promoted lots of other people. Right. Which in his position with his thousands of followers and blah, 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 made a real difference to me. Right. I don't think that's unproblematic. It's, it's about trying to find a way forward and not like... I, I personally wouldn't want to cut people off from not using or being inspired by Malaysian culture and stories. And when I was in Malaysia working, lots of people wanted... You know, like, oh, it was almost forced me. No, you should really do it this like the Iban way and do it like this and do it like this, you know, because... Everyone's so proud of their culture. They want the world to see it. Mm. So how do we get that happening where voices aren't being oppressed and stifled, I guess? Right. And then there are other people who, you know, don't like that and feel uncomfortable and that you have to respect. And there's also, you know, and there's lots of different things. Like, I mean, I think there are flat-out rules. Don't wear a bindi, for example. Right. Don't wear a, a Native American headdress. Yep. You know, like, there are some... Absolutely blatant rules. Okay, feathers and clothes seem really nice. Maybe let's try and find a different way of representing. It's a very pretty aesthetic. Maybe let's let's think about that as an aesthetic in a different way. Blah blah blah. But yeah, it's kind of. A, but that's about understanding <laughs> the significance of the costume because it, 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 if people think, oh, that's ridiculous, but they wouldn't think it was ridiculous if they understood that these are religious symbols exactly. rather than yeah. just decoration yeah. i mean that's the prop that's where the ignorance comes into that because people don't know that they're cut they're, they're religious yeah. symbols yeah. that doesn't def- i'm not defending but it's it's so lazy not to find out what the history is of something oh that's a really pretty outfit tell me what like let me look at what the history is if it's a pretty outfit a pretty thing find out what the fuck it is right you know like that should just be the thing that you do i mean people of color have to go and do their own research when they see something within a place that they've migrated to and they don't understand right right you know in fact they're expected to pass tests well exactly exactly so you know <laughs> i had to pass a test to know oh it was so funny my, the one that in, in a row was what was the year that women got the vote in this country the next question was what is the significance of the 14th of february i was like that's what i need to know to be able to be let into this country like valentine's day right it's not. Even, I don't even. I don't even. That, that's that's a, that's a weird one in itself. I don't. Yes, I, know, I don't even remember Valentine's Day being. It's, it's, I don't even know if it's a tradition or much more of a new thing. Anyway, I'm I know. Not even sure. I know. But, but I mean, but, you know. But I have. I don't really. I mean, I. You know, I. I despise the citizenship test, and I despise my country's and pretty much any country's attitude to migration. So yeah, yeah, I, 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 I can't. Uh, I can't fathom it apart from yeah. understanding that despite not fathoming it, despite being against it, <laughs> yeah. I structurally benefit from it. Um, but there we go. Yeah. When we were talking about words earlier on, yeah. like the, so I've been scaring a lot of men by using the words patriarchy um, mm, mm. The, and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I guess it's even more scary for people to hear post-colonial feminism, right? Oh my God. It's the <laughs> best thing to do when you, get to the, when you get to border control in the UK. When I was on my student visa, and um, I've got British passport now, but I was on student visa when I first was doing my PhD. And um, 
they're like, oh, so what are you studying? Postcolonial feminism. Okay, there you go. <laughs> no one wants to talk about it. It's right. the best thing ever. Yeah, it's pretty scary. And I make a point of telling lots of people as often as I can. Yeah. Because, A, it's just kind of fun to see people's reactions. Uh, that's kind of amusing. But also, it's a bit of a test because some people go, okay, fine, whatever. You do something. That's cool. People do shit, you know, which yeah, is kind yeah, of, yeah. which is a cool reaction. And then some people are very curious, which is also very cool. Some people get very quiet and, yeah. A lot of people don't really understand it, I guess. Do people get angry? No. But then that might just be the company you keep. Maybe. Well, I don't know. I think uh, people are more quiet than anything. I mean, I think right. I'm quite, I don't know, I'm quite direct and I'm quite, I don't, like, I, I'm very privileged in that I have a lot of cultural capital. I'm, you know, I come from a privileged background and all the rest and very educated. So I, I don't, people don't really me <laughs> I don't know they just you know That's and I, I don't know not really I mean it's not so, when they're talking to me I don't right know. right right I mean we all kind of are much yeah I mean if, if I conducted my survey in person I would have got less angry responses I think yeah because that's just the way people yeah. are we're, oh, yeah. we're socially get, bound exactly I mean on, on Twitter or whatever sure I get called count and things like that right but, but, yeah um, of course you do but, um, which is always fun I don't get it as much as oh, it, it's weird what triggers people actually right. like the other day I went on a rant about oh about, about Rihanna and her music video and I was expecting like loads of things from that because I was hashtagging and I was on like fire nothing right and then when I reposted reposted something which you then reposted and got no response yeah. when I reposted it got loads of horrible stuff I can't remember what the article was but I remember the yeah right and that that that, that really clearly shows the structural yeah. positions that we're yeah. in I mean one of the things I found when doing the, the man survey that was interesting is I found that people were much more polite to me about these topics than I've seen them being to women and often women yeah, were much yeah, more yeah, polite yeah. to me than I've seen them being to women so yeah, yeah, certain yeah. strands of feminism let's say yeah. I don't want to get too much into that yeah that, that I'm already going to get attacked <laughs> on that anyway for the listeners and for me to a certain extent what does place colonial feminism mean um it's it's this is yeah this is a good question because so many people get scared of it i think and they don't know what it means and they don't not necessarily want to ask it's feminism within i think i'm sure other people disagree but i looked at it as feminism within post-colonial states which you know there's a lot of similarities to western feminism but there's just a lot of differences and each of those post-colonial states have different issues as well different issues, issues isn't a negative word, different complications that they have to work through. So, yeah, so it's just looking at feminism within post-colonial states. But of course it is also, and I didn't look at this so much, but it's also about how colonialism affected feminism, so therefore there is post-colonial studies within the UK as well, because it's looking, and that'll be looking at sort of women of colour and... Yeah, I mean, I've, right. Yeah. About fe uh, f feminism within uh, communities who've migrated. Exactly. Here exactly. And how they've experienced that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's much better articulated than what <laughs> I was saying. <laughs> Sometimes ugh, I can't say what I mean. But yes, exactly. That, that makes you the same as everybody. <laughs> yeah. So it's looking at migrant <laughs> communities in in the UK, which I did. I mean, I did do look. I did look at that because I was looking at migration. Uh, but I was, yeah, focusing on sort of post-colonial states and feminism within those spaces. Right, and those, I mean, and th so, I mean, kind of post-colonial post study and feminism are both things that trigger people, different people. Yes. 
well, I mean, you know, people who look like me get get pissed off by both those concepts. Yes. Um, Actually, maybe, do you know what? Maybe I'm not saying it to enough people because I'm, I feel like I say it quite loudly, but maybe I do. I'm just thinking, I want, I don't think anyone at my corporate law firm really knows what I do, did. I mean, other than my direct, direct people that I work with. Maybe I need to start saying it more at work. Right. <laughs> and seeing what reactions I get. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> but I mean, those two positions critique each other, right? Yeah. So, so that, you know, there are critiques to make of feminism from a kind of post-colonial point of mm. view of like how, how, how have white women benefited from colonialism and yes. things like that. That's a big topic that people don't want to talk about. Really don't, yeah. Really, like, you know, like <sighs> if, white women who went to 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 the colonies had so much freedom and power than they would ever have had back here right. that no one wants to talk about how privileged they were, which is an amazing thing. They had these amazing lives, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we kept this way of being positive about it as well. And because of that, they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to talk about how, how awful they were to the women then right. in those in colonies. Yeah, it's a, yeah, people don't want to talk about that. And then it goes back the other way in the, the Western idea of... Of of the other of all of these yeah. other places is that they're all really really misogynistic compared to us. Oh like, yeah, so there's this, there's this ridiculous idea that we, we that this is a an unpatriarchal society. I saw this all the time in the man survey, like all oh, the yeah. time people saying, "Yeah, patriarchy exists." Not here though, over there. Yeah. Why aren't you Why aren't you slagging off those people? Yeah. And one of the arguments I've heard made many times around that kind of area is often the problems that. That, that are there with patriarchy was, were brought by colonialism. Mm. Mm. Often, I'm not. It's, that's a very simplistic way. I'm not saying men yeah. anywhere are, are, are yeah. kind of like better than others or whatever. But but certain kind of patriarchal values that we hate when we're pointing at people, we we gave people. It seems. Yeah. Or but or like we's a complicated the, word the, in that sentence. The, yeah. <laughs> when independence happened around the world, everyone. It's a, it's a sense of identity, right? You want to establish yourself from different from when you were under the yoke of colonialism. So you then pick a few things that are in complete opposition. So in the 50s, 60s, when a lot of independence was happening, women were getting more freedom, the pill, etc., etc., etc. So a few places, some places, whatever, took a stand of not necessarily that a hugely patriarchal stance, but more about things like, oh, but our women are like homely and caring and your women are slutty pill-taking things do you know what I mean and and then a lot of like mother earth and mother nature and grounding of home and and all that stuff came up and nostalgia because it was about building an identity and and identity nations get built on the bodies of women you know they really do like Mm -hmm. this the symbol like the motherland that I mean yes we talk about the fatherland as well but those kind of things were evoked and like the land and the soil and images were often created within within newly independent states not not always but those kind of images are, are, are easily evoked in opposition to to the west right in some ways so they were always there maybe but just emphasized and then of course western structures i guess coming in and and religions probably too yeah and and but that's the other thing is like yeah you want to be identified as not being christian because the christians were the colonizers right so then you fall back on 
religion in a very nostalgic way from before you were colonized. I mean, I think a lot of stuff happens, you know, people hark back to the good old days in every fucking nation. You right. know? Like, like now, we're like right. harking back to some bullshit good old days which never existed anyway, you know, because that never existed. Yeah. Some fairy tale. So that's what newly independent states did, sort of cast themselves back to before they were colonized. Well, it's a bit like what you were saying about food being messy as well. Yeah. Like all of this stuff is always messy. Like if you look at any really strict patriarchal society within that will be bubbles of really really liberated people. It's, it's just yeah. it's just it's just so much more complicated on a day-to-day yeah. way humans interact with each yeah. other. It's just it's just not as simple as all of these very useful tools that we have to yeah. analyze it kind of reduce it to. It's just yeah. it's complicated. And I like messy, you know? Like yeah, we were talking right, about before. Right. I feel comfortable in mess. Right. I mean like you know, I like my I like to be very organised, <laughs> but I like mess because mess is exciting and interesting and creative. And I think we don't we like to put, yeah, as you say, we like to put things in these little boxes and structures or whatever and analyse them. But actually, if we think we were if we acknowledge the mess, we're able to untangle it and we're able to be wrong and mm. be right. Yeah, and other people can be right. <laughs> and we can change our minds. And we can change our minds. Yeah, and that's the one one yeah. thing I really wish. I mean, I try to change my mind as much as is possible. I feel like there's a real sort of thing within culture of, like, you shouldn't change your mind. Yeah, like, You should yeah. stick to your... Well, maybe it's a thing that gets really forced on men, I think. Like, like once you've got your mm-hmm. direction, you should... You can't change... Yeah. You, you know, if to, you look weak. But then, as we were saying earlier on, there's similar st- restrictions on women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is it's a, yeah, it's a structure. I guess often is. in response as well, like, if you're a woman, because you, if you take, if you take a st- mm. strong stance you suddenly represent all women it's yeah, this yeah, horrible yeah. horrible thing i was th- thought that did you see that um that series the island where they, they 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 had like a load of men on one island surviving on a on a de- desert island yeah. and a load of women on another island surviving on a desert island with bare grills right yeah 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 um and it was really and it was really interesting the first series was just men the second series was women and men's islands and i was yeah. really pleased and scared by that idea but yeah. it worked out it, it actually worked out quite interestingly but but, but 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 the whole time I was watching it, I just kept thinking that the main difference here is that all of those women are aware of the fact that they're representing all women. And all of those men don't give a fuck about that. They're not really thinking about that yeah, at all. Yeah, they're yeah. just thinking about their own yeah, yeah. feelings and, and, yeah. and stuff. That was, you know, That's it was really clear to me. But anyway, I digress. What brought you to feminism as a kind of area to be interested in? Uh, oh, my mother. I mean, I remember reading um, Gloria Steinem's book, when, what's it called, when she was a bunny. Anyway, like 15 or something. Right. Or maybe even younger. Well, I, uh, so I grew up with my mum and my sister, so dominated female household when we left Malaysia. My mum was very big on, like, making sure we had, went to co-ed schools, so we got to know boys in a very normal way and had male friends, and so that this, there was no sort of, like, I didn't feel anyway, a huge segregation between boys and girls so in that sense it was always like you could do whatever you want whatever you know I read books about boy pirates and was like I'm I totally am going to be a pirate because this character is so me even though it was a guy you know young boy whatever right right. yes I think it was just always very I mean I wore the boys uniform at high school because the girls uniform was ugly not because I wanted to I don't know dress as a boy I was just like that's you but the girls uniform is really ugly it doesn't suit me I'm too short for it the boys uniform is much better suited for my body type and I had no kind of concept that that would be 
a bad thing. Right. You know, it was just like it looked better on me. You know? So things like that. And my mum was always very encouraging. And then I had teachers that were very encouraging about that. That one teacher put me forward for this, like, what was that called? Zonta International, which is this feminist um, kind of young, young, getting women into, young women into feminism and stuff. So, you know, made me enter and write an essay. So I was like 16 or something when I did that and came second. And yeah, it's just always a curious question to ask my sister if she thinks she's a feminist. And for me, for some reason, I always, I've always struggled with my, ide- my identity, my mother said. I've always questioned that, like always. My sister is much more satisfied, complete. I don't know, maybe she's not. She just gives off the impression that she is. She's just much more comfortable in her, in her own skin, whereas I was always questioning everything. Right. So gender was part of that, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Your, your, your pathway to, to feminism and through, through feminism, I guess, started from a from a point of enlightenment already if you like yeah like, that was that's yeah. just the norm I, I, yeah. mean, I have a similar like I mean it's different because I'm a man but 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 similarly I was taught I mean and there's loads of complications mm. around this and people should come and see my show and they'll hear, <laughs> hear all about them but one of the ways you can see my upbringing is feminist like I was my dad bought me books from like a, a feminist book club when I was like mm, growing mm. up and my older sisters are both quite a lot older half sisters mm. so they're like they were like aunts who had who you know lived through the 60s and 70s and so were very much like from that feminist movement same age as my mum as well so they, they, were, right. they were and kind of like what you say like it was female dominated household mm. is quite quite a good description of a lot of my childhood mm. although there's this really complicated blip uh, which, my show co- <laughs> which my show covers but but, See in then, bro. but, 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 but yeah like um but that was the thing like that's just that was just reality like it, mm-hmm. it was only only when that blip happened that I suddenly realized that the reality that I thought was for mm. everyone was not necessarily for everybody and then you know the older I've got the more I've sort of seen more of the problems that people have to live through that I you know yeah yeah it is it is funny because then you kind of hit points it's it's great to grow up like that but then you get such a shock when you realize other people don't and for me like it was really around I guess discovering sex and things like that and being completely okay with sex as being a thing that everyone did and then discovering that oh no girls are not supposed to do it right right, you know whatever right and being like what the fuck this is weird. Why, why, hang on, he's allowed to do all this shit, but I'm not. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And finding that really weird. Right. Um, right, and, and that's what I, 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 I sort of feel the same way a little bit around that. Like, I almost felt like, uh, looking back, it's, it's, again, it's one of the things I kind of cover quite a lot in the show, so I don't yeah. want to go on about that too much. But, like, it was definitely something whereby... I thought everything was going to be fine and everything was going to be sense. And then, like, suddenly, like, whoa, actually, no one, no one told me that this is the reality. Yeah. That, that the there's this, like, really out. complicated, yeah. everybody's worrying. Like, no one's telling anybody what they think or yeah. feel because yeah. we're all so scared of these, yeah. like, social boundaries. And I didn't even know that they existed, but suddenly yeah. you know they exist. And then that makes you really self-conscious yeah. about them because yeah. you don't want to look wrong. like you're getting it wrong. Mm. But at the same time, you should be getting it wrong because mm. the way we do it is wrong. Yeah, like, yeah, so the yeah. only way to do it right is to do it wrong. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. My, my thing, like, because I, I think, you know, like, those... The, uh, for me, it was discovering, like, the race thing was more of a thing, I right, guess. Right, Than kind of feminism, in a way. Right. Like, uh, it sounds really stupid, but the, the moments of discovering that, like, I'm not white. Or, right. like, I'm not like everybody else, you right. know? Like, I've had so many of those moments in my life, as opposed to... I mean, yeah, yes, definitely moments of 
like, oh God, not everyone's a feminist, but yeah. Because my mother is white, and so we grew up with her, and like, we were just like, like her. So we thought. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're just like her. You are like her. Um, And then suddenly you see yourself through someone else's eyes, and they're looking at you going, are you the adopted kids? Are you, I don't know, you know, right. like, or I, yeah, there was just like moments of racism. That's, that has been crueler than the kind of feminist, sexist stuff, I think. But then I guess those two things are, you know, completely interlinked. So, oh, yeah. Like, I guess yeah, 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 you're, yeah. you're experiencing those experiences of, of race as a, as a woman. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Which maybe feels jars in a different way because they often come with kind of sexual overtones and undertones yeah. and all that kind of stuff too. Which is probably why I'm, I'm probably fairly aggressive in some ways because because I've been shocked, as you say, like suddenly surprised that there are these boundaries that kind of counteract the boundary before it hits me is to kind of state who right, I am right, straight right, away. Right. But that's an understandable reaction, yeah, and I yeah. think, I mean, okay. I, I don't know. from a very different point of view, I think a lot of the time, certainly throughout my life, I've, I've, I've made that mistake, or sometimes it's not a mistake, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, being yeah. like, this is who I am, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't yeah, try and change yeah, me, yeah, yeah. this is who I am, you just have to like it or lump it, accept it, and yeah. like, people are like, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or then suddenly you're like, this is who I am, this is what I want to be, ten minutes later, oh shit, no I don't, no yeah, I don't, I want to change my mind. <laughs> Not that person. I'm not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and I mean, yeah. I think, but I, I, I can, I, I can believe that too. I mean, as a, as I, you know, seem to be constantly reiterating on this show, just in case anyone forgets, as a, as a privileged <laughs> white man, you could expect me not to have had any experiences of racism, and I haven't because I'm, you know, white. But my my niece is mixed race. Yeah. And so that was a massive slap for me. Like I suddenly realizing the like i always knew that racism existed yeah. i that was like a, a big part of my politics if you like yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in in my kind of idealistic mm. youth but i didn't like hadn't experienced like people who you know like i hadn't walked down the street holding my niece's hand and experienced the reactions yeah. of white and sometimes black but mostly yeah. white people to that yeah. like suddenly like like you say it's like i just expected that this wouldn't be an issue yeah, yeah, yeah. and it clearly is yeah. and you know, I guess that's one of the things that makes me quite a white person who's always going on about racism, which I, I think in itself is a problem, a yeah. problematic thing yeah. to be. So I don't know if that's good or bad to be a white person who's always going on reminding people that racism exists. But I think it's important. It makes a, a lot of yeah. white people call me right, racist because I point out racism. But, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But, uh, but yeah, it, was, it, it, it is a shocking thing when you haven't experienced these things. So I guess that's, that's the only reason I'm bringing that up. Yeah, I think it is. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's that thing you don't, you don't realise it and then something happens and you go, oh, yeah. Right. I was going to say something else before. I'm like, Damn it. Or something else like, oh, that's important. Anyway, sorry. I'll come back to me. I had that. I, had this, <laughs> I, I, did, I did that exact same thing in a conversation the other day, although this time it's clearly my fault because I'm a man talking up too much in a conversation. <laughs> no, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> no, it was, something about, it was something about being a man and being... Talking about... I mean, it, it, and uh, the other thing is, is like it's another complicated thing about the relationship between. Oh, I know what it was. I'm going to go back. No, yeah, I remember. The topic of privilege, like when we have this conversation of who's privileged and who's non, who has blah blah blah. blah sometimes what happens though is that 
your own privilege or my own privilege gets eradicated. And I like, I have a lot of privileges. You know, A, I, I'm stupidly educated and overly educated or whatever. I have a lot of cultural capital because my mother taught me her interests, you know, in food and in music and in books, and we didn't have a TV, so I'm so well read because that's all I ever did was read. And so all those kind of things give me a privilege that often people with more privilege than me erode that. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, by it does. by saying like and I'm not not correcting you or anything like that, but by, by Please, that, that that constant sort of reference of being well I am in a privileged I am a white privileged male. Yes, obviously. But sometimes it's like, yeah, but I also have privilege, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? And like sometimes like when people say things like, Oh not even that but sometimes, you know, like I just I often want to say, Oh no, I'm really privileged. Like I ha- I'm you know I can pay my rent. I live in a fucking nice house in like East London. <laughs> you know, right. it's rented or whatever, but I have a dog and I, have, you know, right. and I'm, I have all this cultural capital. And, and I think that's myself as well. I talk so much about race and gender and that, that sort of space of unprivilege that, yeah, it's also important to remember that everyone has, has privileges, even right. within, even within spaces that are deemed incredibly marginalised, you have to understand that those, we all have to understand that those spaces also have privilege. Right, no, I mean, you know what I mean? I think that's, that's very fair, fair, fair thing to say. I mean, I, I definitely think when I see people arguing about privilege, if you like, Mm. that I kind of wish that everybody on every side of that would, yeah, would, would, would do that more as well, Mm. because it's, yeah, I can see how me checking my privilege all the time kind of erodes the idea, like, it kind of, it makes my privilege louder than other people's Mm. privilege, Mm. which is, you know, typical of a white white man, But, 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 but I think, like, one of the things I see in these debates, and I, I don't wade in, it's not my place necessarily, but is that, you know, there are definitely people with kind of cultural capitalism mm. uh, cultural capitalism cultural um, capital cultural, yeah. yeah being being in those kind of positions of like lecturing people other people on privilege yeah. and I kind of like how much privilege have you have you checked your privilege yeah. today <laughs> yeah, now yeah. You're, you're busy telling somebody else about it which is not to say I mean I only I reflectively say it because I guess I want to make it very clear no it's not it's a good, I want to I want to make good. it clear that I'm aware of it yeah. but 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 also you know, within that, there's a sense of like, well, also, if I make people clear that I'm aware of it, then I can get on with the actual thing I want to say. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. because that, that's the other problem, I think. If we spend too long, like, that people in my position can spend so long defend, like, kind of grovel, like, mm. like hurting ourselves with mm-hmm, how bad mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. are and not get on with actually fixing Absolutely. Stuff. And I think guilt is a terrible, like, is a really unproductive <laughs> right. thing. Like, right. There's so much, like, post-colonial guilt. Fuck off. You know, this oh, that really fucks me off. We were so bad to you. Let's make it better. No, you can just fuck off. <laughs> like, like, really, that happens a lot. Like, within, within conferences of, of white academics talking about post-colonialism. Lots of white academics are very good at it and should be because they're history is you know we had the inside yeah, view. they were the colonists but there are also a bunch of very liberal white post-colonial academics who just like angst about this guilt thing and all it like to me all it feels is that they want people like like me to be like oh but it's okay because right. you're doing so much good right. work now it's like no just fuck off and let us do our work if that's your your point you know whatever it is it's, yeah, it's that right. guilt thing right like as you're saying like 
we all like beat ourselves up and then don't actually do anything good. I just think guilt is a really unproductive emotion. I, I agree it is. It's a, it's a hard one to get away from. I think mm. that, like, not just in kind of colonial oh, terms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's, yeah. There's plenty of things I feel guilty about that aren't to do with structural positions yeah, yeah, I yeah. hold. Although most of them kind of come back to, to those it. structural yeah, yeah, yeah. positions. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is a funny one, that idea of guilt. Like, I... Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I feel like kind of really... Compli- like, because, yeah, I, I do directly, like, descent. Like, I know... My granddad was born in India and under the rug. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like there are there, there, at a family reunion relatively recently, people were talking kind of m- with misty eyes. Mm. These like old posh people, and that's like this is one fourth of my genetic yeah, makeup. Yeah, yeah. So it's not all of of, yeah. of what I'm guilty about. But <laughs> but but, but the, you know talking misty eyed about mm. being ca- you know being carried in stretch mm. you know their, yeah, their yeah. granddad's being like yeah, carried yeah, in stretchers yeah. and. Uh, like by people yeah, and like yeah, yeah. And, and they're not like I mean they would they would think that they were people they're not com- completely no 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 but but, but, but never yeah yeah no, but, but but it's like at the same time like as I acknowledge that and I don't like it and I if I go back into that 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 quarter of my history it's and I'm sure the other quarters are just as bad they just don't keep as good records yeah. when they're not, when they're not <laughs> they don't rich. talk about it as yeah, 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 yeah. you know when they're not rich I mean and I, that's the interesting thing my mum my mum's my mum my gran she was working class from a, a small like village in mm-hmm. Yorkshire and she married into that posh and she became like much more than my granddad the person who tried to make that the like she, she changed her accent she yeah, changed yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah. I mean and that's kind of like interesting around privilege right yeah, yeah, so she yeah. didn't start with privilege but no, she, she she really embraced it yeah 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 you know and, and that's kind of understandable but also problematic but but I mean but that whole thing of like I acknowledge that stuff is problematic but I've got enough things to feel guilty about in my (laughs) own actual life like things I've actually done so I mean I I can't take on responsibility for that all I can do is make sure it doesn't happen again well also acknowledge that it it doesn't matter how I feel about it it benefits me yes like that's the thing yeah. it's like it doesn't matter you don't have to feel guilty about these yeah. terrible things that our, our ancestors and everyone's ancestors would have done terrible things yeah like yeah, that's yeah. that's not you know oh yeah my ancestors chop people's heads off right so, you know. right 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 exactly <laughs> in fact my granddad did you know he was around when they were still doing that so you know right exactly <laughs> right and it's that that's and that's the thing time blurs like that's people don't expect that no. sort of thing like like you know, we, 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 neither of us are particularly like old. Really. Know, exactly. like our our, our ancestors, yeah. very recent ancestors, yeah. have been massively involved in terrible yeah. things. But yeah. we're I can't not. Do anything about we can walk. I we didn't do? cut anyone's right. head off. Right. No, I'm not. I'm gonna just make sure that it doesn't happen again. Uh, let's not go back to those times. Right. <laughs> um, oh, the other thing about colonialism, as you're talking about this kind of misty-eyed thing, and privilege and and stuff, is this idea. Of people saying, you know, we did such bad things to you. But some people did really well. Like, in Malaysia now, there's a lot of people that love the colonial time. And it brought education and they Mm. wouldn't be... And they like the structure that it's created because they benefited from it. Mostly men. But, you know, to take that away from someone and to go up to them and go, Oh, no, but that was bad what we did. It's such a... You know, there's another another shitty thing to go and tell. It's telling people how they should think about yeah it, well it's really complicated uh, there's two it's complicated there's two, that, I mean that may, like there was the only time I've, I you know I have a lot of problems with my my grand the one who I was just mentioning who's now dead so it's not even that worrying to say stuff about her on mic but I mean there was I had lots of problems with her but there was one moment wherein she actually seemed like a human and like really a nice person or like a, 
that she'd had some valid experiences. And that was when she was like misty-eyed remembering what her experience of the war was, mm. in that what the war was for her was very, I guess, empowering, they would yes. say. Like yeah. suddenly women, like, she, yeah, she was doing stuff. She went to London, she met yeah. a doctor. It was all like a, it was yeah. like a romance novel. Um, and that was like one of the few moments when she's like, when actually my my sister's mum also went, when I talked to her on the show, was very misty-eyed about the, the empowerment that she'd experienced from the war, like like being an evacuee and like having all this freedom and, 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 and sexual freedom, like this kind of new, like fuck, it doesn't matter, everyone can, like this idea that you, everyone can have sex because we're not going to live, so it doesn't yeah, matter, yeah, yeah. like the, the, the rules are off, women are allowed to have sex. Yeah. Although, you know, the, 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 the results of that were, were, yeah. were quite policed quite heavily yeah. as well. It's not as simple as that, no. but yeah. The other thing I was thinking about the other day about your man survey, just going, switching topics, is, this is maybe a bit controversial, is that actually it offered a, a, a safe space, because it was anonymous, for men to talk about those words and topics, which... Especially if you know that they're important and you kind of understand the words, but you don't want to say you don't understand them because you should do, because you feel like you're like a left liberal, blah, 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 blah. And so suddenly it was a safe space for someone to sort of say, well, this is what it means to me, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what... And then read other people's comments and be like, oh, okay, I see other people. Okay, so there's not one answer. There's not one right way, and we can actually discuss this. And I thought that's important. Yeah, I mean, there's a safe spaces for everyone is important. Right, I, I I agree with that, and it was interesting as well. There was some, I mean, there were occasionally women who there were there were three women who did fill it in. Okay, like who like kind of out of offendedness. Yeah, I mean, which is you know statistically that makes women much less petty than men. Because, um, I mean, if it, if, if it had been the other way around, there would have been loads of men saying, this is sexist, this is sexist, and there were only a few women saying yeah. it was sexist. I mean, but the like, it, was, it just was a, such a strange reaction to me for a woman to see that survey and go, it's sexist. There's loads of, I'm sure, critiques that they could make of me and my survey and all sorts of things, but this idea of, 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 of asking men what they think about patriarchy being sexist, like, it's a, it's a weird, it was a weird, it's a yeah. weird idea. But then, from... At least one of those three responses. I don't think I agree with that woman's idea of feminism anyway. And and that was, but that was about safe spaces. Her critique was that um, men barge into our safe spaces all the time. So I'm going to give you a taste of your oh, medicine. Like, and there's there's a validity yeah, to that. Yeah. Although the rest of her response suggested to me that she's transphobic and, and yeah, all sorts yeah. of things that I don't really no. feel like. You know, reading her response made me feel. A, not not as dirty as reading the neo-Nazi mm, responses, mm, mm, but it was along the same lines mm. of like this is somebody's opinions that I don't no. like. No, no. <laughs> but not even well, like, I can't just, identify with any yeah. of this. Do you know what I mean? It's well, like, it's that thing of like there's only one way to be a feminist or one narrative to be whatever woman a feminist, a male or whatever. Right. You know, it sounds like she's feeding into that kind of thing of like there is one truth. I am the truth. This is a feminist. Right. Truth. And but you but I mean I think you're definitely right this idea of like 
of talking about things it was really interesting how many men were like it was all about the dictionary definition and I mm. think that happens a lot with white people and race as far as I understand people are like this is what racism means in the dictionary and therefore I'm going this, to live to that you know, yeah. and it's like that's not that's no. not how it's commonly used no. now it's changing no. meanings change yeah. guess what that's great but, but also yeah <laughs> but also it's nice that people obviously had gone and gone hang on I think I know what it means I don't really know I'm going to look it up that's true instead of like if it had not been a survey just on them they would have asked someone else and kind of gone, well, the rest of the world should have told me what it was. Right. You know, they like I felt like people had to went yeah. off and kind of was like, ah, oh. and then read, the, you know, people were obviously reading the surveys and the responses. And I mean, the last question I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? And you've got a, a, a thing going on at the moment, so we should I definitely do. talk about that. I don't know when you're going to put this out, though. Well, um, I will put, out, put it out in time to yes. promote your <laughs> Okay, so I've written this play for Malaysia. I've been writing it on and off with a um, Malaysian actress, and it's about a Malay girl who moves to London and misses home, so starts cooking her mother's recipes or tries to cook her mother's recipes ends up creating her own kind of recipes and then starts selling her food in in street food markets across London. It's set on a Thursday afternoon the day before she signs her divorce papers and a week before she turns 30 and every day her customers come earlier and earlier because they love her and her stories and she loves them and she finds out their stories it's this little lovely little thing that happens and so it's they've come early per usual and she's cooking, as she's cooking, she's telling her story. And she usually listens to a lot of their stories, and this is the first day that she really, she always tells snippets of her stories, but this is the first day that she really tells everyone the full story of her kind of life and stuff. And she's been cooking for them for like five years. Um, so yeah, it's about that day. And so, um, in the kind of build-up and development of the play, we're doing a series of nights with other performers who also talk about food. So it's a performance night with the theme of food. And this first night on the 5th of August at a new venue called the Barge Bar on Maltby Street Market, uh, Rope Walk. It's a really beautiful, beautiful bar. It's run by Lascos. they like an antique salvage firm thing. And um, Alec is the manager, and he kind of built the bar out of reclaimed timber. Anyway, it's just beautiful. Wow. So it's a love, and it's a food market place in the weekend, so it's a nice little synergy. So we're going to do the run of the play that we've got so far, which is about 30 minutes, and we're going to cook and feed everybody. But beforehand, we've got three performers. Two have been confirmed. So we've got Vera Chock and Samantha Mann, <laughs> which is awesome because they're like my two favourite performances ever. And they're going to do 10 minutes each, and then I've got another third performance which I haven't confirmed. And then a little break, and then we're going to run our show, and then we're going to feed everyone, and everyone's going to stay and drink because it's my birthday. Wow. And this, this first night is going to be the beginning of the fundraiser. So uh, thankfully, performers have sort of donated their time. But the other performances after that are going to be five or six performers 10 minutes each and we'll split the door and it's so it's mixing food and performance every time or every it... time yeah so every time I'll cook something as the performances are happening depending wow. on what the performances are and stuff and what time of year it is and each time we'll do well this first time we're doing 30 minutes but every the times after that we're just going to do 10 minutes of our play depending on what part we're struggling with or would like to see right. or whatever so kind of like work in progress work sessions, in progress sessions yeah. the, the, we feed people. people yeah that's a great and that's also really kind of building idea. up a community of other performers that talk about food right because food is home and food is community Right. So this woman who, who runs this Malaysian store, she's coming along, and there's a couple of other Malaysian food people, bloggers and supper club people. So we're just building up this lovely little community, I think, of performers and people who cook. 
And is it going to be? So it's going to be? Is it what re- regularly? So like? Yeah, monthly, I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> Every two to three months. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of time. As you oh know. yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't recommend doing it. Certainly no. not a weekly. Show. No, no. I've struggled with monthly shows. Yeah. So, so uh, we're going to see how this first one goes before we pick another kind of date and work it out. But probably like in November and then in January. Something like that. Long well, this one's on the 5th, right? 5th of August. Wednesday, the 5th of August. Bar opens at 5.30. Show's on at 7.30. It'll be an hour and a half. No, it'll be an hour and 15 minutes max. So good bite size entertainment. Yeah, I mean, it sounds great. I ho- hope to manage to make it, but it's going to be like the, the, oh, night, yeah, the night before I leave to okay, Edinburgh. So it'll, right. be, it'll be tight. And so it'll, it'll be... Um, uh, and maybe uh, <laughs> it will remain but I, I do hope to come um, certainly in the future yeah. uh, on different dates and those two performers I, I, I strongly recommend yeah. those performers they're amazing too. oh and the play's called Don't Sing in the Kitchen or You'll Marry an Old Man nice yeah which I don't know apparently it's, it's a Malay proverb which you know I don't see a problem about marrying an old man but you know I don't know yeah, clearly it's a, that's a, it's it's an a interesting, thing it's an interesting thing it's like <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like stopping people from <laughs> singing, which I'm, I'm not, I'm not into. I think. No, I think sing if you want to sing. sing. Yeah. And yeah, like, but but then at the same time, yeah, agreed. Nothing like my, there's 20 years between my mum and my dad, so yeah. I can't really uh, yeah. judge that kind of an yeah. age gap. So, so yeah. But I quite, I really like that idea of yeah. Anyway. No, it is. It's it's a, it's a, it's a great phrase. Um, so cool. yeah, Thank I mean, you. and how can people find? that and you and all of those things um, online play project performance project I'm calling it I don't know whatever it's called it's don'tsing.co.uk and I am annamussing.com yeah okay. and then Anna Sulan Twitter just just to keep them confused yeah. well because Anna Sulan is like my first name or Sulan is my Iban name and I don't use Anna Mussing because when British people pronounce it, they pronounce it amazing. So then my name is Amazing, which is kind of awesome, but sounds fake. So you so pronounce amazing. it Massing. Massing, yeah. Which I, I did it right. Yeah. And I pronounced it uh, on... You did, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, amazing did. to me, because <laughs> nearly every time I have any name that's complicated, and that doesn't just mean ethnicity, I mean what it does, but it also means Irish and Scottish <laughs> and all sorts of uh, complicated word connect yeah. combinations. Um, I always get it wrong, and I always like worry about it so yeah, much. Yeah. And like with you, I was just like, well, I'm not going to worry about yeah. it. I reckon that's what it is, and I'm just going to just do it. <laughs> you did get it right. Because as, yeah. as, as soon as I try and practice it, wrong, like, uh, yeah, it yeah. becomes like a, a thing. Also, I'm, so I that's really good. I'm but really I didn't know I go right until this good, moment. So it's good. <laughs> I'm really not precious about my name, because I fuck names up all the time. Right, but... So, but, but but it's complicated. I, I know that, yeah. that, 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 that there's a lot of like... But people can, and people are allowed to be. Right, upset. exactly. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I, I know that people... I, I know from my own experience that I get all names wrong. I'm, yeah. I, I get words wrong. I'm always uh, stumbling over my sentences. But that doesn't change the fact that people experience those of microaggressions. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Some of which won't be me st- yeah, like, yeah, yeah, stumbling yeah. over stuff. So yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Exactly. However we want to feel yeah. about things is okay, I think. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my name is a complicated <laughs> one because in my head it sounds normal, Anna Sulan Mussing. And it wasn't really until like the last few years and someone tried to pronounce it. And it's like actually a horrible sounding name within like the... It's Anna, fine. And then Sullen. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. God, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is. So anyway, it's like Mulan, Sulan, Mulan. Right. 
people get Mulan, but they just get my name as Sullen. I mean, that's what I mean. I guess it's probably <laughs> Mulan that made, made me get that part. Yeah, maybe. Right, yeah. yeah, Anna Sullen, nothing. Yeah. But yeah. for some reason, it was the last one name that I was worrying about the most. But like, it's proved proved yeah, correct right. because it sounds you're like right. loads of other people do say it, yeah. it differently from how I would yeah. have said it. Um, great. Cool. Well, thank the you. Last, and the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Bye, audience. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Stand Up Tragedy is a variety night that I run where people stand up and they do tragedy. We aim to make people cry until they laugh and laugh until they cry, featuring comedians, spoken word artists, storytellers, musicians and more, looking at the harder and darker things in life with some laughs as well as some tears. We try to make a safe space to talk about unsafe things. That is happening at the Banshee Labyrinth Banqueting Room for its run in Edinburgh as part of the PBH Free Fringe from the 8th to the 30th of August at 7.30 every night apart from on Tuesdays because on Tuesdays instead of stand-up tragedy I'm doing some live recordings of Getting Better Acquainted so you can hear me talk to some of the guest hosts that I'm having as part of the main stand-up tragedy season on the Tuesdays at the same time, same place. As I just implied, Stand Up Tragedy is not just doing its normal show, we're also doing some really exciting collaborations and having guest hosts. Look on the Stand Up Tragedy website www.standuptragedy.co.uk for more information about what we have in store. Stand Up Tragedy isn't just a live show, it's also a podcast and you can hear loads of tragedy up there now. We've got like three years of back catalogues for you to go through if you haven't heard us before. Just like Getting Better Acquainted, you can find Stand Up Tragedy anywhere that podcasts go to hang out on the internet. The most obvious place that you might think of is iTunes, but there are many other outlets available to you. Go over there and subscribe or at least keep an eye on the feed because during August we're going to be putting out a hell of a lot of the tragedy that happens on our stage on the internet. So you don't have to go to Edinburgh, Edinburgh can come to you. This is a time where if you love the show, if you want to support what I do, you can really help me out by spreading the word about what I'm doing in Edinburgh this year. They're all free shows but hopefully people will give money at the end, that's how the free fringe works. In order to shout about it and let me know that you're shouting about it, you might want to follow me personally on Twitter where I'm at Goosefat101. Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter is at GBA Podcast and then Stand Up Tragedy on Twitter is Stand Up For Tragedy. Please, please, please shout about all of these shows. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>